as the last verse on the page. I'm sitting here like, where did I put it in? But anyways, here we go. 13.4. Bear with me. I like to read. So, Jesus rose from the supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? How dare he question the master? Jesus answered, said to him, what I am doing to you, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if you do not if I do not wash you, you have no part within me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, and therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Oh, I got, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. All right. Well, good word, good word, good word. Actually, Pastor um, threw that one to me yesterday, and I changed up my, my flow, so I hope you don't mind that I stole that from you. Um, what's cool about this Bible verse is it gives us a very explicit example of what a servant is. And I think it's important for us to really understand this scripture that we understand the culture back then. So Jesus was getting ready to have the supper, and when they come to sit down at the table, we all think we're coming in, pulling out our chairs, sitting down, and we're sitting at a table in a chair. But back then, you probably didn't have chairs. You sat on the floor. So your table's about yay high off the ground, and you're sitting down cross-legged or feet off to the side. I can't cross my legs. I'm not flexible enough. And uh, so when you sit down, you probably got someone's feet like a foot and a half from you. And if you ask my children, you don't want my feet a foot and a half from you. Okay, I'm not allowed to take my shoes off, especially in the car. So uh, it was customary for the lowest person in the home or the servant of the house to wash the feet of the guests that came into the home. And during that time, the disciples all walked in and sat down. Jesus was in there sitting. They began to bickering over who was the greatest disciple. I mean, that, that, was a, that was an argument that the disciples had, believe it or not. And Jesus just stood up, girded himself, and began to wash the feet. So I'm just sitting there trying to visualize as a disciple what it's like to sit there. And all of a sudden, you see the master, the rabbi, the teacher, the alpha, the omega, stand up and lower himself to a, to a position so low and began to wash the feet. Now I can understand why Simon Peter's like, Jesus, you're not washing my feet. And first off, I wouldn't question, question Jesus. But Jesus set the example here of how no job should be beneath any person, regardless of what your financial status is, your reputational status is. Um, I mean, Pastor sitting there back, bragged on me just a second ago, almost said bagged bragged on me and talked about, you know, like, you're a chief warrant officer, great, cool, but that doesn't make me any better than the private that I have to serve. Literally, my position is to serve people. Um, so I started thinking about this a lot, and I was like, the servant's heart, revival, how's that work? And when you see revival, it starts within you, right, and it works its way out. And uh, I'm going to step on some toes here. So I got a, I got a, I got a, uh, a slide that I want to show you guys. Um, yeah. It's not my job. 
it, it's, I find this funny. I saw this a while back, and uh, this is an actual picture. And I don't, I remember reading the story when it first came out because in law enforcement, we talk, we had to work with our NDOT folks that worked the roads, and like this was a thing for a little bit with them. And the simplest, simpl- simply put, all this person had to do was move the stick. And I mean, I'm not a huge guy, but that stick doesn't, I say stick, that limb doesn't look that hard to move. And you can make your nice pretty line like you're supposed to. But no, it was, and he's like, not my job, and just whoop, goes around it. So if you're a new driver like my daughter Annie, she tries to follow the line, you're probably getting a head-on collision because she's going to swerve to stay within the lines. But I started thinking about the church here a little bit and how people serve here. And actually, honestly, Crossroads does a pretty good job. We really do. We have so many people that serve in so many areas. And, but I want to bring to light, just as an example, for instance, let's use kids' ministry as an example, which we have an excellent kids' ministry. And I'm only saying this because I've heard it before in the church. Um, people don't want to serve in, in children's ministries sometimes because they think that it's the moms who have children or the dads who have children's responsibility to serve on Sunday mornings because they're the ones putting the kids in the ministry. I don't know about you, though. If, if you have any kids, the last thing you want to do on Sundays necessarily is to come in and be with more children, you know? You might want to take a little break and go have some time with Jesus and service and get to hear the gospel and stuff. Um, but they're like, it's not my job because I don't have kids. Or people want to say, well, I'm not going to spread the message of the gospel to people because I'm not the pastor. I'm not going to pray for people because I'm not on the prayer team. I'm not going to greet people when they come through the door because, well, it's not my weekend or it's not, I'm not on that committee. And I just think that sometimes as servants, and like Jesus did, like no job is beneath us. Like Jesus gave us the example here of how he, I mean, I, I wish we could just really captivate it today's terms, how low he, he moved himself. I mean, I, this sounds bad, because if there's any janitors in here, please forgive me, but in high school, I had, I didn't do this, but we had people who made fun of the janitor, because the janitor was just like that guy always running around with the mop, and you see it in movies, too. He's like the lowest person at the school, but like, we should esteem them, you know, and we need to serve everybody, no matter who they are, and we need to be willing to put ourselves in position um, to serve, and thing is, is I, I heard this this past week too, is that if you see a need, if you see a need that needs to be met, you're probably seeing it because you need to do it, right? So it, it, it can push you past your comfort a little bit, but for example, like if I saw somebody, and this is outside, this isn't just in the church, folks, this is outside the church. There are people out there in need of helping with, uh, with home care, um, financial needs, uh, whatever it may be. So like, for example, like I see somebody broken down on the outside on the side of the road, I see it, and I just drive by it. I do them no good. Now, you might say, well, they got an engine blowing. I see smoke coming up. I'm not a mechanic. I don't know how to take care of that. Probably not. But you can stop and say, hey, can I help you? Can I give you a ride? Need a phone call? Need something to drink, eat, just stay cool down while it's hot outside? You can do something. You can do something. And something is better than nothing. Because as a, as a Christian, sometimes we come into the church doors, and this is what I'm worried about a little bit when it comes to this season of revival, because I really believe that the church is about to bust at the seams in revival. I really, really believe that. But we come in and people wanted to experience Asbury. They wanted to go down there and consume Asbury. And that's good. That's good. I want you to. Because if you don't have it in you, you can't give it out. But it's more important that you bring it back and you do something with it. See, being a Christian is being an action. It's being a doer, not just a consumer. You've got to be a doer of the gospel. You've got to be a doer 
of the words. And so, anywho, no jobs beneath us. And what I really find in those scriptures, I want to hit this one one more time, is in 17 he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That is really hard to read. My apologies. I should have made bigger words. So, for the older folks who have glasses, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't throw something at me. Nobody laughed. That was a terrible joke. That didn't go over very well. I know how you feel, Pastor. My bad. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So, now, everybody in here, you have no excuse. You know these. You know what you need to do. And you're blessed if you do them. If you do them. Not just hear them, not just experience them, not just have an emotional experience with Jesus, but do them. You have to do this. I just skipped a page. I am nervous today. I don't know why. Forgive me. So we're going to Philippians real quick. All right? Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. We're doing 11 verses again. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, and let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interest of others. Let his mind be in which you was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God the Father. Love that verse. I honestly, those last few verses don't necessarily pertain to what I'm talking about, but I just love them. They had power, and I had to finish that one out. So verse 3 and 4, it says, I'm going to hash that again. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, and let each esteem others to better than himself. And let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So Jesus, when he walked the earth, because we've got to use Jesus as an example, right? He took care of himself. I mean, he didn't go hungry. He didn't just find himself in a position where he can't um, do things, share the gospel. I mean, as much as he traveled with his disciples and as much as he spent time on the road, he had resources. But he stewarded them properly, right? So the scripture, I was thinking, the way I read this and understood it is it's important that we do take care of ourselves. But it's even more important that we take care of others. And you'll say, well, how do you see that? So there's a, there's a word in there. Can you pull that scripture up for me, Curtis? Uh, it says, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So esteem, this is the New King James Version. The word esteem means to honor or revere. So what this is essentially saying is we must, in lowliness of mind, let each of us revere others better than ourselves. I wonder who others is. Probably the ones you love, right? You look to your left and right, you probably got a spouse with you, some kids or family. We're going to esteem them. I love Pastor Tracy and Darlene. I hold them in high reverence. Most of us probably do. But what about the ones you don't like? I won't say love because we're Christians. We love everybody. Um, 
What about the people you don't like? Do you have to revere them and esteem those folks as well? I'm sure you do. And you want to, you want to test your servanthood? Go serve them. And see if you don't do it with vain in your heart or with love in your heart. Because it's hard. It's a true litmus of a, of a Christian on, on how their heart is positioned during that time of service when they don't want to do it. That's what sets a servant for Christ apart from somebody who's looking to find their own gain in the situation. And you know what? It's even cooler is I see Jesus. It talked about Jesus in here, how he, was, he came to earth and he was obedient to the cross. You know, we see Jesus as the, the servant who honestly, whenever he came, he said, I am the example of what service is. And he served, he served us to, to the death on the cross. And what blows my mind a little bit on this, and you think about it, is Jesus could have not died on the cross. He could have very easily been like, hey, I'm, I'm not going to die on the cross, but I'm going to give you guys the Holy Spirit. And we, he, I honestly believe today it could have been fine, but Jesus, or God wanted us to know how much he loves us and how much he wanted to serve us. So Jesus, praying with blood, sweat, tears coming from his face, asked God to take the cup from him. And Jesus said, no, I'll I'll take the cup. I'll take the cup. I'll serve these people so they know what it's like to humble themselves, even unto death. He sought to serve us daily, and he still meets our needs, and he revered others. He revered us. He esteemed us. Wow, me. He esteemed me to the point of death on the cross. And he showed what a heart of a servant truly is like. I've got one more scripture I want to go over. I'm going a little quick, but that's okay, right? We get our, our Baptist buffet in today early. So Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, whom the foundation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me food, and I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in, and I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty, and you give me drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the one at the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You did it to me. So we talk a lot about the love of Christ. And I think through servant, being a servant to Jesus and having a servant heart, we can truly grow closer to him. And it will spark that revival that we really desire. We've had six weeks now talking about the Pillars Revival. We've had faith. Um, we talked about the doctrine of hell, our training and growth, time and focus. And we got today. And each of these things we felt like were pillars, like necessary things, because Pastor actually told me one day, he's like, you can take anything and throw it into revival and make it a message. So the, item, the things that we spoke about over these last few weeks are items that we think that would really, really help us out the most to spark that revival inside of us, to help us grow. And so through this revival season, and I really believe that's where the church is today, through this revival season, as we become awakened, it's going to grow us closer to God through when we start serving. It grows us closer to God because when we serve the least or a person in need, we're serving Jesus. And that just, man, it's hard for us to take God and put him in a spot where we see somebody who's poor and broken. It's hard to take God and put him in a place where he's sick and, and needs healing. 
But the scripture says right here, when you do it to these, you've done it for me. And the scripture actually goes on and, and uh, he says the ones who didn't do it, he's, he's like, I don't know you. Depart from me. I don't know who you are. And I think the scripture is evident that it says that part of being a Christian is about doing. You can't just experience Christ. You can't just come and have an emotional moment with Jesus and say yes and be content. Part of the revival season, part of growing in Christ, is doing. The harvest is ripe, and it's ready. It's out there. And it's beyond these four walls where we will go and reap that harvest. This is your training ground. This place, this church, is your training ground as Christians. Now, we all come in here, and we can serve all day long in here, and that's great. But the real service is beyond these walls. That's where the harvest is to be made. We'll have folks that come in from time to time that don't know Jesus, and that's wonderful. And they'll hear the gospel message in here, and they'll give their lives to Jesus. But each and every one of us are chosen. But what separates the chosen from the called are the ones that do. And if you want to see the revival actually take place the way it's supposed to, which is the church is awakened, and then people come flocking to Jesus, that's where you step out in your faith and begin doing the gospel out there. In that same scripture we started with at the beginning, um, it gets to the part where it talks about John the, John the disciple, his head's resting against Jesus' chest. And at the same time, um, Jesus hands a piece of bread to Judas and tells him, go do what you must, but do it quickly. And that's him telling, Jesus knows that Jesus is about to betray him. And when you look at this comparison of these two right here, you got, you got John, the disciple, whose head is resting on the chest of Jesus. He's doing what he can to get as close as he can to the Father's heart, to see what his desires are, to know what Jesus wants. Yet on the other hand, we have a person who's about to betray him. And I feel like as the church, we need to take some time every once in a while just stop and just put our head against the chest of Jesus and hear what the Father's heart is. Because each one of us have a calling. Each one of us are destined to do something for the kingdom of God. We weren't called into, into service to the kingdom to just come in and be, like I said, consumers of the church, consumers of the gospel. We're called to be doers. He said to go to the four corners of the earth and make disciples. He didn't say go to the four walls of the church and just consume what's being preached. The servant's heart is not easy. As you begin to serve, you'll find moments where you become discontent. You'll be bitter because you feel like you're doing everything all the time. Or you'll go to serve outside these four walls and you'll find yourself in a situation where you're being burned. It's happened to me and my wife before where we've served somebody on the outside of the church and we got burned. And we're like, we got to that point where we're like, we're never doing that again. That, that was terrible. But again, the servant's heart is this, is that things happen. The kingdom still goes on, and we still got work to do. Put your hand to the plow and press on and continue to serve. You can't let the enemy, excuse me, you can't let the enemy take away your joy of serving. And I think it's important that we know the difference between joy and happiness, by the way. Joy is a state of being. Happiness is a temporary emotion that you experience. So when number says there's a joy in serving, and you're saying the thing is like, if you've mowed this yard before out here or had to weed eat, there's not a lot of happiness in mowing and weed eating this, this lawn here. But it brings joy. 
Because you know you're doing it for the kingdom. And it, it seems like a simple task, but again, you know, not my job. It's, it's a simple task. But last year we did great. We had an awesome committee that mowed it. I'm not bagging on them, I promise. They did, they did wonderful. But joy. Happy. There's joy in serving. You may not be happy at it at the moment, but you'll look back on that one day and be like, that was a tough moment. I look at, look at back some things Sarah and I have done, and I'm like, that was tough. I don't think I'm ever going to do that again. But I found joy in it because I grew from it. I knew that the kingdom of God was being grown through it. So we're going to go to the, the Lord's table here in a few moments, and I'm going to wrap up with this. Is that as we begin to embrace the heart of a servant, we have to understand we got to do. We have to do. We have to go out there in this revival season, take this revival, and run with it. Because through the revival of our hearts, our light shines brighter. That's how we start reaching people, and we start reaping the harvest of this revival. And last night I went and watched that movie, Jesus Revolution, really good movie. Um, I recommend it, uh, 9 out of 10, just because at the end I didn't like how it ended because the guy who plays Jesus broke my heart. Um, I know, right? Way to go. Hey, the, uh, what's it called? The, uh, I don't remember what it's called. Hey, spoiler alert, yeah. Spoiler ban is over. It's been out for two or three weeks, so uh, spoiler ban's over. But uh, I tell you what, I watched that movie last night, and it just, you get fired up in that movie. And, and I, I left there last night, and I was just thinking to myself, I was like, the revolution of 1970 could happen easily again today. It really could. It just takes a church, a body of people, to go out there and do. I mean, you saw in the movie, who hasn't seen the movie? Oh gosh, I can't say anything. <laughs> Never mind. Let me just say this. I'll put it this way. In the movie, people were actionable. All right, they were actionable in the movie. And today, our actionable is, we'll put a post on Facebook or social media. Or I might send a buddy a text and say, what's up? I call Tyler probably all the time. And we try to talk to Jesus. Try to, because Tyler gets mad at me and he talks about random things. But um, Actually, it's me. But we try to talk to Jesus um, probably three or four times a week. And uh, it's actionable between us. But the conviction laid upon my heart is, where, where's my action? I mean, I can talk to Tyler all day long. I can talk to Pastor all day long. I can talk to youth group on Wednesday nights all day long. But what am I doing outside that? Like, I felt so convicted. I was like, I'm not going out. And I was walking to the store last night, and I was like, I really just want to like, jump up on this. I actually walked, <laughs> I walked by a Bud Light um, display, and I was like, I wonder what would happen if I just jumped up on this and started professing the Word of God in Walmart at 9, or 10.30 at night. And I was just like, there was conviction there, like, why aren't you doing it? I mean... What's the worst going to happen? They'd ask you to get down and leave? And I was like, I don't know. But there's that conviction, right? You know, I'm telling you, folks, there's a conviction in my heart right now in this season of Bible because I know I can see it, I can feel it, and I'm not taking enough action personally, I feel like it. So I just hope that this conviction pours out on you guys a little bit as well, is that just take that moment with your coworker and bless them, pray for them. Take that moment with somebody you know that needs something. Meet their need. Meet their need. That's what we're called to do is meet needs as servants of Jesus. So, Pastor, appreciate the time. And, uh, folks, let's be servant hearts out there. And let's pray that this revival continues to grow within us and that it grows in the community and the region, as uh, Darlene has said in the past. And if you want to know what revival looks like, folks, we're in it right now. I really believe that. I really, I'm not saying that because we started this series I'm saying it because if you go out and you start doing some looking up on what's going on in the world right now, 
Last night alone, Franklin Graham, who was in uh, oh, Ho Chi Minh City, thousands and thousands of people were gathered to worship God that night. It's not just here. It's not just Asbury. It's here. The awakening of the Christian community is here. If you're going to miss it, if you don't walk in conviction and start doing something about it. Amen. Thanks, Pastor.